Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. What's up, everybody? <laughs> Welcome to the Big Six Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. It's uh, it's a Brady Quinn football show. Will, are you okay? I'm great. I I, I, I um it looks like you get a lot of sun lately. Yeah, uh, well, I'm I'm laughing. I'm I'm red because I'm laughing. I'm, I'm I'm laughing hysterically because you made a face. You look you look like you. I don't, you look like you just like like won a football game, or, or like or like Notre Dame won, like somebody from Notre Dame won the Heisman. That's how you look. You look, you look, or, or you look like you haven't done this podcast in two weeks. I don't know. Like you look, know, you look excited to be here. Weeks? Has it been two weeks? No, no. Well, we missed last week. It's okay. That's what I'm saying, man. I'm, I'm excited to be back. Excited to be with you, Will. Obviously, Billy too. Behind the scenes, I got to talk to Billy before. So, uh, yeah, it's been it's been a little little couple weeks now since we've gotten together. Um. What uh, so Olivia Newton John wrote a famous song called "Let's Get Fiscal." That's right. Um, That's it's, right. it's about it's about it's about the tax year. Uh, it's it's you know she 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 was big into uh, you know write offs and and everything. Um, unfortunately, you don't get a write off this week because the the Jets lost. You see the big Bills yeah. helmet behind Brady, but still, you know. <laughs> what? <the? laughs> Boom! Roasted. I, I We're trying to make more of this than, than it actually is. Um, um, here, here's where we're at with the Jets. I, I was actually going to segue to the, the other helmet below you, which is the San Francisco. They, they lost the Bills to your right. right. Below the Bills helmet is a Niners. Niners. So we're not going to talk about the Jets' Bills at all. You just brought up for no reason, then you want to move on. It was, it was a literal segue down to the 49ers helmet below that. I was going to. I was yeah. just making fun of Billy. I, I, for, I was making fun of Billy way. for calling it a physical year. Is what I was going to do. <laughs> It was a Freudian slip. Um, in all seriousness, though, like give Mike White a lot of props. He was taking some body blows in that game. Dude. I mean, he looked like Rocky out there, right? And Apollo Krieg or Mr. T or whoever else would have Ivan Drago was just body shots all day to him early. Um, but he's played well. He, he has played well. I'm not sure what's going to happen now this week. Uh, Zach Wilson's been elevated to number two, which you got to ask yourself, why hasn't he been number two all along? What's transpired or what's changed since they benched him in the first place? Okay, actually, actually, we'll, we'll stick for the Jets for, for the moment. Um, because I am curious. Do you think that in that time period that Zach Wilson has been benched and Mike White has taken over and everyone on the team is wearing, like, I love Mike White t-shirts and Garrett Wilson's out here in the streets talking to reporters like, you know, thank God we have a human who can get me the football. It's, like, he's not, that's a paraphrasing, but he is – he has kicked Zach. He's kicked Zach Wilson under the bus multiple times. Everyone is praising Mike White. This team's going to war for Mike White. Is there something that Zach Wilson, as a young quarterback on this team, and 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 because and, and, you've been there, not that you were you know a Zach Wilson type, but you've been there in that you know dealing with a veteran, you know, you know, battling in season. Is there something he could have done in the locker room over the last few weeks? to change everyone's minds or was he, is he just where he is until next season or, or forever? Yeah. That was really clunky there. Um, he's that's, just that's where he is. Clunky questions. Yeah. He, he he's where he is. I mean, I don't think over the past few weeks, anyone's really noticed him probably uh, to be quite Ouch. honest. No, it, it's just the truth of the matter is I think people have been more swept away by the offensive improvement in the passing game with Mike white. At least that's been more my impression of it. And I think this past week was one where, Probably could have came out of the game, depending on the injuries. I mean, uh, I know Jim Nance and Tony Romo are on the call. Romo it was the first to break the fact he's got broken ribs, playing with broken ribs. Some call that wild speculation. Other people call that just typical Tony Romo call. I digress. Also, um, and all good. <laughs> no, I'm just saying like – Sure, no. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I'm just like, hey, the guy's got broken ribs out there. I was like, whoa, he does? 
I was like, did we get that report yet? They're like, no, no, it's just, it was just Tony Romo speculating if he had broken ribs. Anyway, the whole point is, like, he's, he's playing through getting shot after shot from the Buffalo Bills. And, you know, you're looking at it going, like, this is the sort of thing that wins over a locker room. This is the sort of thing that, like, when you're still fighting in a game, keeping your team in that game, um, it, it wins over those guys. And now they're calling him an effing soldier uh, is, is, is the, the quote I saw. So <laughs> you love to see that. Like, regardless of, you know, how you feel about Zach Wilson, Mike White, you love to see anytime players are rallying around their quarterback. And that's what Mike White has brought so far. And I do think they've got a formula to be able to compete with the Bills. When you look at them defensively, the sauce Gardner, the job he did on Stephon Diggs, the secondary in general, um, you know, you look at the way they can run the football, control the line of scrimmage. Like, all they need is someone to go to distribute the football as they continue to build on the wide receiver position. So, it, you've got to love the progress they've made. The, the big question is, will they? They're now not in the playoff picture. Will they be able to win enough to be in the playoffs by the end of the year? Um, and if you look at the last four games, it's kind of a toss up based on how you view these games. You know, how this is all going to play out, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, I think the, AFC I, week 14 was all I, I said I tweeted this and somebody was like thanks Captain Obvious I was like well I mean God, what do you want I mean like if week 14 had gone in a different direction then the playoff pictures on both sides of, of the league could be a, a lot more boring but because of the way that things broke all of a sudden you have like multiple te- multiple teams the Chargers the Lions I mean the Jaguars you know, that are, I mean, the Panthers that are suddenly like in the, I mean, or uh, what, what, what do, uh, where are we not doing in the hunt now? Or CBS doing in the hunt? Cause you know, you know, uh, uh, Monday Night Football changed it. Like they, they went with um, like up in here or something, or uh, you're not, you're not, not going to play along with this. Okay. All right. Fine. I, 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 uh, I don't we'll know what else. Monday Night fine. Football went with. I'm not like one to get into all of that. I just typically see the in the hunt. You know, I, I know Joe Buck was complaining that in the hunt is the only thing we have. And he was like, I want something else. So they get, uh, they, you're just not, okay. Okay. Oh, oh cool. you're in the office. Of the you so we're not, so not going to play along. I see it. Like okay, on, right, on the prowl. Uh, there we go. Uh, now we're talking. I mean, I want, I want Jim Nance being on the prowl on Sunday. <laughs> on the prowl. <laughs> on the prowl. Uh, oh, but it's, it's only, this, but it can only, it can only be cat teams. <laughs> on yeah. the prowl. Well, you will say like you. Well, there's, Lions, there's no Panthers, Jaguars. You've got a lot who are on the prowl. On the prowl. Uh, in pursuit, hot pursuit. I'm not sure that maybe that goes to the Cowboys. You know, but they're already in, so I can't really use that. No, no, no. They, they. Oh my god, they changed. Jets, they, the Jets are hot pursuit. Maybe they're on their tail. I don't know. On the. I hate you. Um, <laughs> trying to. Yeah, that's, that's like a you know. I guess you don't watch Monday Night Football. All right, it's cool. I mean, it's fine. No big deal. I, I um, watch Monday Night Football. I usually don't always have the sound on when I'm watching a game. I've got other things going well, it, on. It's a, it's a graphic that they put on the t- television that you would that you would notice. I was I'm like, sorry I didn't notice the graphic. That ve- was a variation from every other in the hunt that's out there when it comes in the playoffs. Then Fox apologies. did something else, too. And I'm, I'm asking CBS. I'm saying we should come up with, oh, it's sniffing around is what they are. Oof. I don't, I don't know about that one. It was like a frat party. Jeez. It is. It is. I have a picture of it. Or Miami in the eighties. They were <laughs> the Commanders, Lions, Falcons, Panthers, and Saints were sniffing around on uh, December fifth on Monday Night Football, according to Joe Buck. Hmm. I don't know about that. I, I think don't know we, about that. I love it. I think we stay within Close, the hunt. Closing the, uh, closing the gap. Closing the gap. No. Not closing the gap. Okay. All right. Let's you know. Let's go to the 49ers to talk about Brock Purdy. Um, that was a poorly, poorly orchestrated tangent. I apologize. Rest of more. Brock Purdy. <laughs> okay. Let me ask you this. You are what are you? What are you? Thirty? Yeah. Uh, 40, 40, 43? Yeah. Yep. In my forties. Thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. Brady Quinn. You. you uh, you're. Let's say. Jump in the time machine. You go back uh, 14 years. You're 24 years old in your uh, athletic prime. You know, you're like, you know, doing your commercials, driving your Hummer around. You get dropped into the modern day 49ers offense. How would you play? I'd love it. You'd be great, wouldn't you? 
I think most quarterbacks are great in that system. I mean, Nick Mullins, it's one of the reasons why the Vikings traded for him. C.J. Beathard, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has most success with Kyle Shanahan. Not that it, he really played much with New England, but um, I, I think when you look at him in there and they find I mean, he almost went to, he's been to a Super Bowl and almost won it and then almost went to a second one. Yeah, you look at Matt Schaub has been in a Pro Bowl caliber, right? RG3 wins Offensive Rookie of the Year. Um, you start going through the list of quarterbacks who've had like career years. Even Brian Hoyer, I think one of his best years was in Cleveland. Dude, right? 2014, Brian Hoyer and the Browns were leading the AFC North until Alex Mack broke his leg. Yeah. Matt Schaub led the league in passing yards. Matt Schaub. So if you really want me to dive into like the deep history of Kyle and what makes him so special is he grew up on basically from his dad. I think everyone knows that, but it's more of how he was trained. So he would be responsible for drawing the scout team cards at a very, very young age. And so what he started to learn was really defenses and how they would align to certain personnels, to certain formations. And so from that, he then knew and could kind of figure out and predict, and this is more has to do with the running game, the exact look he wanted you to get into. He, he knows basically every single game he walks into how he wants to get you in a certain defensive set so you can run the football and find the best angles. And as long as you guys execute, there's going to be a lot of room to run there. And that's what you see in almost every one of his offenses. They always can run the football. It's like Christian McCaffrey or when it was Jeff Wilson or Raheem Mostert or whoever you want to talk about. Elijah Mitchell. Yeah, Elijah Mitchell. Um, every one of those guys – and in recent history, like whatever running backs you want to talk about that he's had, they're getting to the second level. Like they're getting the second level body on body, and, and it's basically you trying to make that force defender, the extra defender miss. And that's all you can ask for as a running back. And, and he does as good of a job of anyone in doing that. And you can say week by week, like break down the film, and you can see it. So, whoa. Am I still Wait. here? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was hoping you wouldn't notice and just keep talking because that was a really good Kyle Shanahan tangent you were on. Yeah, we've got HQ. You've been replaced by HQ. What's happening? Yeah, um, I'm back. That's kind of cool. But, I wish so, I could like get that in my normal life. So you know? that, this gives me a, a nice opportunity, not to interrupt, but just to sort of like reset it. You you pointed out when when he was so like when he was originally came in, he he started working for his dad, obviously, um, yeah. before he was even an offensive coordinator for his dad. And, and you're saying that he would draw up the scout team cards, right? So. It's. I, mean, I guess I, I'm. I don't think this is a direct one-to-one comparison, but like, I, I think a lot. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that Tom Brady became a much better quarterback because he worked with Bill Belichick because Belichick was showing him what the defenses were going to present. Is that is that sort of a similar comp to what like in the sense yeah, like, I mean, I, I, like, like I would I would credit um, every New England coach that I had in them teaching the game. Like, that was the biggest thing is, and I think it's one of the reasons why they've all gotten head coaching jobs because they end up being great teachers. Like, they can walk into an interview, and you can ask them, put them on the board, and they can go boom, 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 boom. Like, here's offensively what, you know, we like or what this does. Defensively, you know, this is the kind of style of defense we run. This is why. Here are our strengths. Here are our weaknesses. Here's how you exploit it. Like, they can go about, you know, creating those schemes to do that, and that's what the entire system is all about. Um, you know, it, it doesn't take into account quite as much. Like if you look at a West Coast offense, it doesn't take into account quite as much like the timing and rhythm in the passing game with the footwork and that coincide with the footwork of the receivers. A lot of the concepts that like I remember running back, whether it was with Charlie Weiss or Josh McDaniels, yes, you had your seven-step or you know five-step drops, whatever the case was, but you kind of had to find the rhythm within that, that play. Like you couldn't just group a bunch of the drop-back quarterbacks you know, uh, or drop back plays into this category of plays and say, oh, your footwork's the same for all of them. It wasn't. And it's like that, too, in the West Coast offense to a degree. I mean, sometimes you have to, and especially depending on where you're throwing to. Like, there'd be times when you'd have to throw five and plant to your first read, and depending on who that guy was running that skinny post or that bang a post, like, you're going to have to chop that down pretty quick because that dude's so fast, he's already at his, his cut point or his break point, and the ball's already got to be out. Otherwise, you're late. You're throwing behind or that window's closed. So, you know, every offense is different. One of the things I always appreciate, I think, about like that with the New England offense was they did a great job of preparing their quarterbacks to understand exactly what you're getting from the defense and understanding the defense's weaknesses and how you can exploit that. Now, in saying that, that makes it a much more cerebral game, and it means after the snap of the football, you're really confirming everything you saw before the snap of the football if you already don't know before the snap, meaning because of your empty formation and you displace a running back or tight end all on the outside – 
you know based on who's across from him, whether it's man or zone. And then from there, you start looking at the safety rotation and then what the front looks like and who's in the box, who's not in the box to start to discern what type of zone coverage it is or, or man coverage it would be if that's the case. So, you know, all those things are things that, you know, is common to New England, but other staffs do it too. Kyle Shanahan obviously does that too, uh, even though he doesn't come from that tree. But you look at the way he knows how to kind of align things based on the personnel groupings. I think the, I think the hardest thing for him is, is early in games just figuring out how teams are going to play George Kittle, how teams are going to play Christian McCaffrey, and, and I would have said Debo Samuel before his injury, which it seems like he's going to be out the rest of the regular season now. But even him, like, how are they going to play him when, when Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey are in the game at the same time and they're both in the backfield at the same time, right? Those are things that sometimes teams will play the same, sometimes they'll play them different. But that's really, the, I think, the only question marks he has going into games. It's not what he wants to run and how he's going to run it. It's how he gets to those run plays and how he gets to those plays to set things up off one another. So, man, because, and like, and I, I mean, like, you've obviously spent time with Kyle. I've spent some time with Kyle Shannon, not a lot. I think it was actually with you. Um, but, uh, but like, the guy, by, by all accounts, is. I, I think I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is it goes I think it goes we, we were like oh he's a quarterback guru you know the offensive mastermind but it's like by all accounts if you spend any time with Kyle Shanahan you come away going oh my god like not like this guy like just like he has such a mastery of what he wants to see from like like you're saying he's he knows what he's trying to get to it's it's not and that's what that's what's cool about that offense is it's actually offensive in terms of its approach and trying to um, it's sort of like the, I was watching the remembering Mike Leach thing on, um, SEC network last night and he taught a, um, a modern football and, uh, a, like a warfare class at Washington yeah. state. And, but the idea is like, and that, at Mississippi state, by the way, they brought it to Starkville because oh, really? of that. I didn't yeah. know. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's modern football and insurgent warfare was the class. And it's like, but that is, that is the literal definition of offensive. You are attempting to. And I think, and I think that kind of gets lost sometimes is that Kyle Shanahan is on the attack and trying to get your defense in a position. I mean, all offenses are, but like, I think it sort of gets lost in the discussion of his offense. Yeah, I, I think it gets lost too because they haven't won that Super Bowl. They haven't had that sort of success. Like Sean McVay gets that title because of the manner in which he explains mm. it to the media, his relationship with the media, and the fact that they've been now to two Super Bowls and they won one, and in a short time as a head coach. And you have to look at it and say it's pretty incredible what Kyle Shanahan's done, no matter who his quarterback is. Um, I, I just, you know, that's that's a guy that you look at and go, yeah, every every quarterback wish he could have played for Kyle Shanahan, because the one, like the thing that I think he does the best, and not a lot of um, you know coaches get enough credit for this, and this is probably the single most important job, is not like trying to make a quarterback something he's not. You know, if you look at the success right now, Brock Purdy, what he's doing with this offense. You know, he's played great. His, his one start, the spot work before that, he's played great. He hasn't been asked to do a ton either. Mm. And even when you go back and you look at, like, the touchdown pass before the end of the half, right, it's a two-minute drive. Like, one of the things you don't want to do to complicate things for a young quarterback who doesn't have a lot of experience, especially a rookie in this case, is you don't want him to have to read through a, you know, a big progression. Uh, maybe, maybe you could say, all right, he can have a full field progression. That's fine. But you don't want to get it too caught up in like trying to read coverage and complicating it. You know, there's sometimes will you'll have things called coverage reads, meaning based on the coverage, it's going to dictate how you go about reading that play. It's not just like one high, two high, right? Where if it's a single high safety, I'm going to read this side. If it's two high safety, I read that side. There's there's simple plays that are drawn up like that. There's some that are like very coverage specific because hey, this route might break into a post instead of maybe it's just a normal go route if it's cover four based on what number two is doing. So there's there's all sorts of different things that complicate some of your reads. What did he do? A double move. How easy is that? You basically sit back and say, look, if, if, if the shot's there, take it. I want you to hold, keep your eyes down the middle of the field, hold the middle field safety. I want you to look at the top of your drop over at the corner if he's playing off. If he's playing off, give him a good pump because his eyes are going to be on you and then toss it deep. How mm. hard is that? Like literally, like you, you, you practice doing that in high school, junior high sometimes. You know, a double move. You're you're already taking a variation of what you already overthrowing in that game, which were deep curls, and you're basically getting your receiver to chop his feet at that same move point and then move downfield. And Jamel Dean ended up falling forward, and there lies a touchdown. So, um, it's simple things like that where he plays to the strengths of his quarterbacks to allow them to succeed. He doesn't put too much on their plate, so they play fast, they play decisive. And they, and they end up being good decision makers in that case. When quarterbacks don't know 
what they're seeing or the game's moving fast, they feel like it's looking gray or fuzzy, that's when you typically make mistakes. So he doesn't put his quarterbacks in that position. And obviously they run the football well too, which, which takes a lot of pressure off. Well, that's what you know, people are like, is this Brock Purdy guy for real? It's like, I mean, like maybe, but it's more about his ability to make good decisions quickly in this system. Like he, he's, yeah, he's soaked up what, enough, right? I mean, that's what a lot of quarterback play is. I mean, you, the number one thing I think when you look at quarterbacks coming from college and the NFL is, are they good decision makers? You know, what's their touchdown interception ratio? You know, when you're watching them on tape, you know, are, are they understanding when to throw the football away or not throwing in traffic? Like those sorts of things. Are, are they going where the football should be going? You know, however you want to go about dissecting that. So um, I think he coaches them up in that, in that manner to prepare them to do all of those things. And, and, and so far, you know, Brock Purdy's done it. And I think he gives them a shot uh, if he continues to execute this way. And if they play the type of defense they are and run the football they are, right. yeah, of course, they could move on and, and, and win a Super Bowl with them or, or go win a few games in the playoffs. But, you know, you, you touched on Mike Leach. And I know at some point we'll, we'll get to Mike Leach. I, I, I'm not going to talk about kind of the you know, relationship I had with him and the stories and all that. A lot of people have told stories. I've kind of shared some on Twitter. Um, the one thing that I feel like that gets overlooked is his impact on the game of football. Oh man! And like he makes you, he made you and teams defend the entire field, which you see more commonly now in the NFL than ever before. And I think he, like the thing that I appreciated the most that he did as a coach, was he stripped away a lot of the complexities of what an offense could be, and he basically said, "I only need a little sheet of paper and these concepts, and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna make sure our execution is the most important thing." And, and I think the, the thing that he did that impacted not only like the other coaches that you see now that are head coaches um, that do a tremendous job, whether it's Lincoln Riley or um, you know, even Cliff Kingsborough, obviously, who rolled this into getting a, a, you know, a head coaching job in the NFL or anyone else you want to throw into that category, right? I mean, Dave Aranda's in that tree, so many people. The, the thing that stands out to me is he, he practiced, like, for example, a corner out into every coverage. So, like, when I was coach, I was like, oh, if it's cover two and you don't have a guy who's, you know, the typical smash concept, right? You're going to have, like, a hitch and you have, like, a corner out. Well, he would coach guys into basically being able to throw that corner out, regardless of what was underneath it, into whatever coverage. And why that's powerful and why that's, that's you know, special is because it prepared quarterbacks when they got to the next level to be able to make throws and shape throws and be passers, not throwers. Whereas some guys, you know, they've never thrown that ball before in their life, so they don't know how to throw it with arc and pace to get over the cornerback in front of the safety and right on the sideline where it needs to be. And so he was able to basically say, like, look, you can throw whatever you want against whatever coverage, any concept. You just got to figure out a way of throwing it. And, yeah. it. and it's unique to him because he was an artist. He was creative like that as a person and just how he saw the world and then how he, how he saw his perspective of the world and applied it to the game of football. That's a, that's a cool tribute. I mean, I, I think it's um, – I think Leach – I mean – like, I didn't know Leach at all. I I I love the entire ethos of of who Mike Leach was, and like from a off field and on field. Um, I, I think that I think that though is like it is interesting how his his football legacy, which is is enormous, is it's not diminished, but it's like it is funny to see how it's like you know the crazy pirate, but in reality, like his like it, like he. He, uh, you know, and you, you, know, you watch the, the, you know, remembering Mike Leach thing, and you know, how mommy's on there, and, and they're talking about the air, the actual air raid siren that they had, and that's how they came up with the name of it. it yeah, I was there. I went to Lexington. I saw Tim Couch play when Hal Mummy was the head coach and Mike Leach was there. See, that was my first introduction to it, and I remember sitting watching it, going, "Holy crap! You play football this way?" I mean, it, like where I was from in Columbus and Ohio, like <laughs> people running the wing T, they're running the power eye, like these more traditional offenses. I'm like. You can run five wide. You can put four guys on one side and one guy on the other. I was like, this can happen. I, I'm like, it wait, was, why were, were you there for, were you there like, um, no. So my uncle, Steve Slates, he played for Kentucky. Oh. So I have family in Lexington. I used to go down and when Tim Couch was there, of course you wanted to go see him, especially when you know, he was about to become, you know, the, the starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. And I grew up a fan. So my dad, when I was young, would take me down to watch him. So that was like, what, 98, 99. So I was probably in, uh, well, it was 98, 97, somewhere in that ballpark. So I was probably what junior high at the time. Uh, so, so I'd go see him and, and I eventually was recruited by Kentucky, but it, it wasn't like that. I mean, it was purely about just the enjoyment of seeing Tim couch and then watching an, an offense. So that, you like, watched, you watched the air raid in its inception. I didn't know that. I've never heard yeah. that story. 
I mean, yeah. I mean, were you? I mean, what, what did what did Chopper think about the air raid? Well, the, the best part was I think they played like a directional school, and it was like a two directional school. You know, it was like <laughs> Northwest Missouri State University or something like that. And so they hung probably like sixty on them. And I just remember the air raid horn kept going off over and over and over and over again. And you kept seeing all these like couch for Heisman shirts and everything else. I, I think I might have bought one at one point. Um, but it was it was just fun to watch. I mean, it was so unique compared to anything else that was going on in football, not just college football, like in, in the NFL everywhere. And now, honestly, like you look at some of the concepts and how they're applied to the NFL, and it's a little different in college because you have the hashes are wider and the way you can you can displace players in the field. But a lot of those roots are still there. And, and I think the confidence now to sit there and say, it's fourth and one, we're gonna throw. You know, like 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 we're completing a high, high enough percentage of balls, like we're gonna throw the various screens and concepts that are all part of it. I mean, all that, all that should be accredited to Mike Leach. But you talk about like the kind of the pirate stuff, the swinger sword. The thing that stood out to me is how he figured out how to stand out. Like he's so unique in the sense of there was no one else who was like him, who talked to the media the way he did, who saw the world the way he did. And you know he was at, at these programs on like the outposts of college football, but mm. he found a way to work with those smaller budgets um, and work with less to maximize it. I mean, the, what he did at Texas Tech, what he did even at Washington State, when you think about how competitive that program was during his time there, the Minshew mania, and that whole story of how – I mean, have you ever heard the story of how Gardner Minshew got there? Minshew was about to be an assistant for Nick Saban, and he ends up like becoming an, like a, an NFL starter for several years because of Mike Leach. It, it literally was a phone call where Mike Leach reached out to him, and he just said to him, he said, hey – do you want to lead the country in passing? <laughs> just, because that, because that's what you're going to do if you come here. And sure enough, Gardner Mitchell's like, hell yeah. And he, and he gets there in the summertime. He wins over the team. And, and the rest is history. And you know, I, I remember like being a part of that, calling some of those games. And it was so much fun to be around. And, and it's a part, too, because like Mike Leach didn't make it about any one player. He made it about the team. He, he really did in the essence of all of it. And he treated everyone the same, the way he went about talking to them and treated the media all the same, the way the conversations you'd have with you. But that was what it like was, what struck me the most is like, he really did make it more team oriented and just the way he handled things. And it, but again, it's, it, it's, it's sad. I, you know, thoughts and prayers, obviously you send those out to their family and, and friends. It was just, um, you know, it was, it was always a pleasure uh, to, to be around Mike. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, man, but I mean, one of the, one of the I saw somebody, I can't remember, I believe it was like, um, I think it was somebody with footballscoop.com tweeted this out, but so the college football hall of fame has a requirement of a yeah. 60% win percentage to get it for coaches to be inducted. And Leach is like three W's below that. Yeah. I mean, we got to, we got to wave that for Mike Leach. Look, I, I think there's a lot of things, you know, in regards to the, whether it's the college football hall of fame or the national football foundation, you know, however they go about deciding that even some of these awards now that we see, it's like there needs to be more transparency. There, 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 every, every situation in case is unique. And, and I, I hope, uh, it's my hope that they find a way of getting rid of that to allow Mike Leach in. Because you really can't tell the story of college football and the impact that he's had with his coaching tree and the players and who become coaches and who've gone on uh, without talking about Mike Leach. Amen, brother. All right, let's take a quick break. RIP Mike Leach. One of a kind. One of one. Uh, and we'll come back and talk a little more football next. So... It's not never easy to transition from something like that, but you know what? Like I, I, I saw it. Uh, somebody was like, "Ask Mississippi State." It's like, "Are you going to play in the bowl game?" They're like, "Yeah, there's a pirate ship in our bowl game." Yeah. Mike, Mike would be furious if we didn't play in this bowl game because because he, he passed. Are you nuts? There's a pirate yeah. ship there. Uh, hang a hang a hang a, hang a Mike Leach banner from the pirate ship. Um, Cliff Kingsbury played uh, played quarterback at Texas Tech. <laughs> Did he, I mean, well. He, he did, did he not? Wes Welker was there. My boy Wick Brenner was there. Early 2000s. What, yeah. what a Texas Tech team that was. Michael Crabtree. Oh, remember that game? And I think it was 08, but I mean, that game against Texas, all-timer. Um, oh, yeah. More importantly, they're Cliff Kingsbury now under fire in Arizona. What, ha what happens with this Kyler injury? I'm of the belief that the Kyler injury is going to save everyone's job in Arizona. Um, that's one way of looking at it. I mean, I, my first thing would be you, you can't make the decision you made in the offseason with Steve Kahn, Cliff Kingsbury, and Kyler Murray and then not be able to, you know, swallow a bad season. 
I mean, you didn't have your best player in your entire team the first six games. If you looked at their schedule too, I think I pegged them at two and four, three and three at best. I think they ended up two and four. Um, so that was about what it was going to be. And you lost Chandler Jones in the offseason. Their defense has had issues getting pressure. I mean, Zach Allen looked great this past week, but um, it hasn't really been like that the entire year. They've given up a bunch of chunks and plays in the passing game. So, you know, there were some holes there to fill. And they've been they've been snake bitten the whole year. I mean, Kyler already missed some time this season. Their offensive line has been banged up at times. Obviously, Hopkins was out, but it's not just him. Hollywood Brown was out for a period of time, too. That's why they went and got Robbie Anderson. Um, you know, the backfield's been banged up. I mean, you could just look throughout. And Zach Ertz is no longer there. I mean, literally, like, I know we feel like when we talk about injuries, like it's making excuses because other teams battle through, in- through injuries. Those teams, though, are so stacked. And the roster is so much better suited to be able to withstand that. The Cardinals are not. You know, they're not that roster to be able to withstand that. So, I think when you factor it all in there, if Michael Bidwell wants to just pull the rug from out underneath everyone and blow this thing up, I just think it's going to set back the organization where you give this thing another year and you see how all see if you can continue to build on the roster, get more get more depth there, but see what you can create from all this and give it another year, and then you can you know evaluate where you're at at that point in time. Uh, to me, I think that's the the best course of action because obviously the year hasn't gone the way they wanted it to. And they're not going to be able to finish the way they want to, or, or even have a shot at the end. But it also didn't go the way it wanted to for the Rams either. You know, if, if it was, if this is all about Michael Bidwell being so mad that two teams from the NFC West were, were in the playoffs last year, and it being that whole story, and, and they, you know, obviously weren't able to to win their wild card round. If it's really about that, then how are you going to view this year? Because Seattle's now starting to slide back. You're looking at a Rams team that's not going to the playoffs, and then you've got a, a San Francisco team that's without its, you know, starting quarterback. I'm referring to Jimmy Garoppolo, not Trey Lance, but it was without Jimmy Garoppolo having started rookie, and we don't know how it's going to impact their playoff hopes. So I don't know. Hopefully he's not going to live in the moment. Hopefully he's a little more patient you know, with all this working stuff out. So, so you don't want it to be as, as impatient as Ryan Wilson, who wants to fire – Ryan Wilson Ryan Wilson wants to fire Cliff, fire Kime, and cut Kyler. Which is like – I, I, I mean, astronomical I, dead cap hit and all that. I just – yeah. Well – you, you. When I say you, I mean Michael Bidwell. Like, let's say Ryan Wilson is Michael Bidwell. He's like, I don't. It's rip the bandaid off. Get rid of him. Just figure it out. Well, if you do that, yet one, you have a massive dead cap hit. You just can't. Kyler's uncuttable. Um, two, you now are like spending thirty million dollars on a GM and a head coach you're not paying for, which means you are inherently, like, regardless of what you believe in in your head, you're inherently going to spend less on the next guys, which means yeah. you're not going to get the same. You're not going to get high quality guys. And then I, you're just going to be stuck in the same cycle. Well, I also think you have to learn from your mistakes and, and I'm not taking the small sample size with what Steve Wilkes has done in Carolina is saying that, you know, moving on from him was a mistake. He could have learned a lot from that experience and now applied it in Carolina, but they're four and four since starting off one and four firing that rule. Like he's done a heck of a job now yeah. giving Carolina hope of what that may be. And, and they should give him a realistic look to be the head coach, you know, starting in 2023. Spoiler. I don't know how it's going to work out, but you moved on from him because you had a bad season. And I know it was, you know, maybe historically bad for the franchise, but, you know, Josh Rosen struggled. You're starting a rookie quarterback. Uh, clearly that played a factor into all of it too. Um, I want to say it was Your the, GM was wasn't only, there for six months because he was suspended. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things you could chalk that up to. And I, I think you, you made that swift decision you bought into going into the, hey, we're drafting Kyler Murray number one overall, Cliff Kingsbury, him, they have a rapport. He, he can build an offense that will suit him. You bought into it, then you extended them. So are you really going to go back on the decision that you just made like nine months ago? It just, to me, let cooler heads prevail. Let, let the dust settle in the desert um, after the season and then and move on to 2023. So uh, what are we? We're, we just finished week 14. Yeah. Right? If you go back to 2021. Week 14, I'm just sort of, you know, spit on here. The Cardinals were 11 and 6. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, okay, how does that, how does that work? Oh, the Cardinals finished 11 and 6. I was hoping they would give me the actual record after week 14. They started 8-0 last year. And look, I'm not saying that last year's start is indicative of who Cliff Kingsbury is as a head coach or um, Kyler is as a quarterback, and they finished poorly. Like, they finished 3-6. and six. But they started 8-0. And when they were 8-0, People were talking about Kyler for MVP. People were talking about can the Cardinals win the Super Bowl? And, and that's, I mean, that's, you know, it's like a year, it's less than 18 months ago. So yeah. you, you can't just panic and just fire everybody. 
because of a bad 18 months. I mean, it, after giving them all extensions, if you do that, you are kind of an idiot, right? Well, I, I'm not going to call him that, but but I, but call I Ryan think, Wilson an idiot. It's what I want you to do. I'm not calling anyone an idiot, but you do you do have to like look you back at your own decision making and have to. Well, yeah, that's because you know, rightfully so. But Fair. Um, you do have to look at your own decision making at some point and hope that you're sharpening yourself by by looking back and saying, okay, this this is the mistake I made last time. I'm not going to make the same mistake this time. I also think you know you you hired a first time head coach in Steve Wilkes, right? Well, then, then look at you're hiring a first time NFL head coach in Cliff Kingsbury. So give him some time too to grow into the position where they've continually gotten better every year. Like every single year, you could look back and go, we've got better, got better, got better, taking that step. This is the first year where you, maybe you take a step back. But again, I think if you blow the whole thing up, then you might be taking like three steps back. And who knows if you ever get back up to being a team that's going to compete you know, in that division um, with the way it looked at least last year. I mean, I would actually take more away from that saying, hey, we were a playoff team amongst, you know, a couple teams that, you know, ended up also going as well. Uh, there's a lot more we, we can take from that and apply it moving forward. It just don't hit the panic button now. Because I feel like when you do that, it, it takes a long time to build it back up. And, and after – I remember being a 10-6 and 6 team in Cleveland my rookie year. And then the next year, us being injury-ridden, I think we went 4-12 and 12 the next year. And then as soon as Randy Lerner blew that thing up, mm. there was never any traction there the rest of the time he was an owner. And then Jimmy Haslam takes it over, and he's never finding any traction. And, and the problem is because you kind of hit the eject button on this grand plan that everyone pitches mm. to you every year, every other year, and, and you, you eject early. It's like well, you never even got close to going to the destination. And now you got a team that's half built for one general manager or one head coach and then you got a guy coming in who's trying to clean up the whole mess. It, it takes a while to turn it over. It takes more than just one offseason. It, it's, I mean, it, I, I'm not saying that Matt Rule is a great, is, will ever be a good or great NFL head coach, but I do think there's something to the fact that, you know, he pointed out, you know, I think it was, we talked about this, but he was on Peter Scherer's yeah, podcast. Yeah. And, so, hey, and he's he's like, look, he's plan. like, if you told me I had, I had two and a half years to, to, to win, I, I, you know, I might, I might have approached things differently. Like David Tepper. Just like Jimmy Haslam, hit the eject button, and I and I do think if you take, I can't, I'm, I, I'm not trying to cape up for Cliff Kingsbury. I'm not trying to be a Kingsbury defender here, but I think if you look at his look, five, ten, and one with the rookie of the year in Kyler Murray, eight and eight the next year, eleven and six the next year, that is improvement. Yeah. Now they've had a really bad year. I think people just want to fire Cliff Kingsbury. I think people are just like hot, hot to fire Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah, they they want him to lose. I mean, look, he, the guy's got it all, right? He's a head coach. He's too good looking. That's the problem. He's, too, he's so damn good looking. Like he people is. keep thinking he was in the Notebook. He wasn't. All right, that wasn't him. That it was Ryan Gosling. Damn it! Yeah. Like, will people get this right? Hey. And uh, and yeah, I mean, it's like, what's the downside? Like the guys just living a living a great life. I mean, they, you know what it was too. I think they saw him in their like war room or whatever house they rented. He was just kicked up, laid back. It was his, it was his house. And he's like sitting up with his feet on and like the fireplace going, he's like draft. I don't care about the draft. I'm just going to sit here and watch, be handsome and watch the notebook with this less handsome guy, Gosling. Yeah. And and so like ever since then, people are like, I just, God, that guy just got everything. And so there's just jealous. They just, they hate on him, but they need to be patient. I mean, look, hate, he's, you know what they say, Brady? What the haters gonna hate, 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 hate. Yeah, they do say that. Uh, um, Baker Mayfield. Here's what I'll say quickly just about him too. If if anyone spent time around Cliff, they'll know like he's a grinder. Like that dude is, he's a grinder. He knows ball. He knows what he's trying to get. Unfortunately, like some things just have not worked out for them this year. Uh, they should be patient. The yeah, second half of the season's pawn him too, but that's a whole other story. Baker Mayfield. Once did he? Cliff Kingsbury chased Baker off. Is that right? No, well, it's a lot. I mean, more we, we, I'm not trying to dive into that, but I, no, I, was, I know I'm, he didn't chase him off. The reality is, you know, he was there as a as a walk on, which then allowed him to go to Oklahoma and not be penalized to sit out a year. However, that all I believe got reviewed by the NCA because Texas Tech was going to give him a scholarship in the spring and then tried to block him for transferring. Um, it, it worked out for all parties involved. How about that? Yeah, because then you got a guy named Patrick Mahomes who came in, you know, eventually. Um, Baker got claimed by the Rams. And it's like a crazy, I mean, the, the, I can't get over the Monday night football, Thursday night football. Okay. Let me just say the the beginning of the game, as much as they were like freaking out about like he was three for six at one point, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe he just completed that in route. And you're like, 
I mean, he's playing the NFL. Like he's taking his team to the playoffs. Like he's like what are we talking? He's the number one overall draft pick. Like he's, he won the he's capable like, of making these throws. I'm like, why are we freaking out about this? Like he's very capable of doing all of this. Um, and we've seen him do it before too. It, just was a different uniform. They were treating it like I went out there. They're like, Brinson, can you believe he just completed that pass? It's like yeah. he's a, he's a he's a He's at this point. He's a veteran NFL quarterback who's completing like a twenty-yard pass. It, it's it's not like it's it's not like he had to learn like Spanish. Chris was freaking out about it. I'm like, okay. Now once you get to the two-minute drive, that's where I said to myself, okay, that's unbelievable. Like that was legit. Granted, Rob Havenstein should have gotten called for uh, a seven more holding. Hold. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it would have changed the outcome of the game. But I, I digress. It's for him to do what he did in that moment. That was special. Like bottom line for a guy coming in two days prior. That was special, and he deserves a lot of credit for it. By the way, so much so that I'm going to go and say this. The way McVay celebrated, like, that was unlike anything I'd seen from him this entire year. I feel like Baker's kind of rejuvenated him. Like, Mm. dare I say, like, I think Baker's the quarterback maybe he needs right now moving forward, not Stafford, who, like, has gotten everything he wanted now. Like, he's got the Super Bowl. He's got, you know, Hall of Fame stats. I mean, Baker's hungry, and, like, he wants to come there – and try to go to a Super Bowl and win one. And I just, I, I kind of look at it and go, I think that might actually revitalize Sean McVay too with how he sees this. Like, tell me I'm crazy, but I think I think McVay likes challenges. And he's looking at a guy right now who not a lot of people obviously were are, are high on at this point in his career. If he could build him up to be able to go to a Super Bowl and win one, I, that puts him in rare company, right? Like three Super Bowls, granted he's, he's, he's won one, didn't win them all. But if he was to have Baker go to one, that's what Joe Gibbs, Bill Parcells, uh, Gibbs won one with three different starting quarterbacks. That's what, but that's what I'm saying is, yeah, yeah. but um, go to a Super Bowl with three different starting quarterbacks. Parcells would Parcells would have had Bledsoe. Parcells. Did Parcells, Parcells go with Sims? Uh, yeah, and then Parcells wait, had three uh, different quarterbacks. Hostetler. Okay, Sims I, didn't start. Sure. Um, I'm pretty sure Bar- Parcells has been to three. Gibbs took three to three, three different ones. Mm-hmm. McVay would be the other, other other one, which is like to me pretty remarkable. Now, granted, like, look, Jared Goff is the number one overall pick, Baker Mayfield, number one overall pick, and then Matthew Stafford, Stafford number one overall two pick. overall. So it's like no, Stafford was one. Right. Well, was he one overall? Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of Ryan. I'm thinking of Matt Ryan. Matt yeah, Ryan Matt Ryan was two. Yeah. Yep. So it's like, all right. Like it's still though, three different quarterbacks. That's not the like that's pretty, pretty ridiculous to think about that. Now I'm trying to, and you're, I'll, I mean, you're probably right about Parcells. Um, I'm, I'm sure you're right about Parcells, but yeah, I mean, if you did that, it'd be insane. The, the problem is the only issue for that. And I don't think, I don't think you're, I don't think you're wrong. I think that I think Baker by the I end of this year will it. want to stick like, around in Los Angeles. Trade-offs. Like Baker might believe in UFOs. That's okay. Willing to do that. You know, some people feel like Matt Stafford may have like not helping the lady up when she fell off the stage. Like Baker's not going to do that. You know, he's going to help her up. I think. No. Uh, okay. Um, this is a. Where are we at on this? We don't. We don't slander Matthew Stafford on this podcast. That's what we don't do. Well, uh, I wasn't slandering him. I'm just saying, like, I think, I think Matthew Stafford. I think over. Matthew Stafford was confused, and perhaps, uh, you know. Oh, you think it was drunk? It was a bad drunk reaction. I, I think it was a. I think it was a. Oh God! Like, is so, somebody help? Like, I, I don't know that Brady Quinn necessarily, you know, leaps for the the lady falling off the stage. I would have dove in down there. I don't know. 100%. Mm. You might have. Did I stop when I was back at home to help a guy who, like, literally drove off the road into a ditch? Now, when I got up to the car, I realized that there may have been some things going on inside the car that caused that to happen. Mm. Um, But I did try to help them, although they didn't want any help. And I tried to advise them not to drive the car any further into this little ravine they were in. However, they did not listen. <laughs> Wait, what? Like, you, know. should, you should stop driving into the ravine. I was like, well, you're going to be more stuck because you're already pretty stuck. But like, if you drive that thing forward, you're going to be stuck even more. And sure enough, I, I asked one last time. I said, do you need me to call an ambulance? Do you need me to call anyone? They said, no, we're good. Um, and I said, okay. Do they so recognize you? To walk away, I watched them continue to drive more into it and get more <laughs> stuck. And then water started getting in the car, which they eventually got out. So... You know, a lot of people don't know that if you drive into a into a ravine, that you can't drive further into the ravine. 
no. in a non-metaphorical sense, just a literal sense. It's, it's very, very difficult to drive into a ravine and then further into a ravine unless you're driving a very, very big car. I was just more, I was, it was a smaller car and I was curious how saying. they even got into the ravine in the first place. They're obviously driving too fast on an off-ramp, but I digress. Uh, I, would I, was, I, was, I was allowing your tangent about, um, you know, I once uh, changed a car in a rainstorm. I changed a tire, changed a tire for a car in a rainstorm for, for strangers. There you go. See? Yeah, how about that? That's the sort of Billy Brinson stories we need. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a man of the people. Um, yeah, Phil Sims, Hostetler, and Bledsoe. You're right. I, yeah. I, was, I was looking it up. Apologies for questioning your football knowledge. I thought Hostetler, but I wasn't 100% positive. Yeah, yeah. But I, anyway, I, I, look, by the way, I, I realize we're like a long way from that, but I don't know. I think I think Baker brings up a little extra juice. I think he's fired up. He's still headbutting guys without a helmet on. There's something to say about that. That's stupid. Yeah, but I don't know. It's the kind of meathead stuff that I think McVeigh's kind of into. Okay, let me ask you this. If you were, let's say you're Baker Mayfield. Yeah. And, and we've talked about this a lot. Like it, and, and we even mentioned it, we sort of referenced it with, you know, like you, like, like you kill to play for, go back in time and play for Kyle Shanahan in your career. But like, if you're Baker and you feel like you landed in a spot with McVeigh that could be where it finally all works out for you. But Matthew Stafford isn't retiring and he's coming back to, and he's, he's not tradable. I'm just saying, just, just walk through my hypothetical. He's, he's not retiring. He's coming back to play. Would you, if you're Baker Mayfield, would you consider signing a contract to be the backup in Los Angeles, like a two-year deal where it's not quarterback and waiting. You don't really know what the deal is. Like, and if you're Matthew Stafford, would you want Baker to sign that? Like, I think those are sort of the the problematic logistics with the timing of the contract and all of that, 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 that the Rams have to deal with. Yeah, I just get a sense that Matt Stafford's closer to being done than maybe he would be willing to admit. I mean, he played really banged up the season. There's also like an element of like, you know, does he got what he wanted. Like he came to L.A. to get a Super Bowl. You know, what more does he want at this point in time? He's made a ton of money. Sure. And I, I feel like that's more of a question for like Sean McVay. Like what does he want? Because if he wants to continue to do this, and obviously he flirted with TV networks for a reason, you know, after the Super Bowl and really contemplated that, he probably wants to be with a guy who's going to come in like Hungry. rearing to go, like with something to prove with a gigantic boulder on his shoulder. And that's Baker. So I, I just – Again, maybe this is just in, in my fantasy world of how I could see this playing out, but I think if you're Baker, yeah, you'd, you'd want to sign to stay there, but you'd also be trying to do that. Maybe you see even put it in a clause and be like, look, I'm doing this if Sean's here. If Sean leaves and retires and goes to the TV or something, then I, then all of a sudden it triggers it's something in my contract where I become a free agent because I, I'm leaving if, if that guy's not here. And I don't think it's crazy to suggest Matthew Stafford walks away. I mean, like he, you know, we're talking about a spinal contusion, like more concussion, Matthew, by the way. I mean, a spinal contusion, concussion, like all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's 34. He's, I think he still has good football left in him, but I don't know how long it lasts if he has to play behind that offensive line. You know, and, and can they retool it in the offseason? The run well, game, you know. it depends upon if they're going to let Rob Havenstein hold the way he did at the end of that game. If they let that happen. They flagged him nine times in that game. Finally, they're like, we're out of – I can't throw this flag anymore. My arm is hurting me. Just hold. Whatever. Do whatever you want. Like, Yeah. Just just put him in that arm bar, like, choke thing around his neck. No one calls that anymore. Right. Um, someone was talking about that earlier. Anyway, uh, I digress. Jay, Michael Parsons. Ostensible Defensive Player of the Year. You can Google ostensible after the podcast. Uh, well, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, well, I'm thinking when you said that, Bosa? Yeah, it's either him or Bosa. I think it's okay. – uh, I, I would Bosa's take Bosa. Bosa's got more stacks right now, right? Yeah. Uh, I'll look I'll look and see what the uh, what the the odds are. I would take Bosa at plus money over, over Parsons. Personally, Does the injury to Jimmy G play more of a factor, too, in that where, like, the defense is that much more important and they're technically the number one defense? That's actually a great – that's actually a great piece of analysis by you. And, yes, it will factor in. Um, one of the other things, too, this year – for MVP, you have to list the voters. Pete Prisco's one. So imagine you're putting your hands in like like the fate of Pete Prisco, which is terrifying. Um, you list five MVPs and three candidates for all the other awards. So it, it, whereas before it was one vote, and that's going to muddy the waters a little bit with people who go Parsons one, Bosa two. You right. know, keep it a little closer. It's hard to say exactly um, what the impact will be. Right now, Parsons is, ooh, Parsons minus 260. Bosa plus 170. Oh, at least somebody on Bosa, man. Take the plus value. You still can get it. You know? 100%. 100%. Yeah. Bosa plus 170 is the move. I do think – I think that's a great call on – like San Francisco is not going to get the one seed, but they're going to finish above Dallas and, and, and could get as high as the two seed. And if they do that with Brock Purdy 
and like you know McCaffrey comes in and that helps. Well, yeah, they win their division, which they're going to win their division. Yep. You know, people are going to say Dallas can't say that. Really, people are going to say, "How do we reward San Francisco for this success?" It won't be coach of the year because there are too many other candidates. It'll be through DPOI, baby. DPOI, that's right. Good call. All right, so Parsons, who, all right, ostensible DPOI loser, um, had had this to say about Jalen Hurts. Is it Hurts or the team? It's system and team. Mm. Read between the lines. I think he's uh, put some bulletin board material out there. That's what I think. Because uh, I'll say this about Jalen Hurts, you know, he, he's he's like um, it's like machine learning, right? Like they, they just get smarter and smarter the more opportunities you give it to learn. Like that's how he is as a quarterback. Like the more reps he gets, the better he gets. It's been like that since Alabama to Oklahoma, Oklahoma to the Eagles, and that's how it is now. And he's in a great system for him. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to be able to, to excel in everyone's system, but I, I do think you know in this system. It's not just the system. It is Jalen Hurts. It's his skill set and how they're able to utilize his skill set. So, um, and look, they're as talented as as it as it gets at wide receiver and on the offensive line and, and in their backfield and and their defense now with the the additions they made, especially the veteran guys who are, I think are stopping the run better the past four games. But I just look at it and I go, yeah, like I I, I don't think that's just the system. I think that's Jalen Hurts and the improvements he's made. So here's my theory on Hurts. Because Jalen Hurts has been prominent in our lives since, you know, recruiting, obviously, and then Bama, and then Oklahoma, and all of these teams that were on our radar. I'll finish this and we'll get out of here. Um, people, people think that he's like 42 years old. He's, a, he's younger than Stetson Bennett. Like, <laughs> he's 24. There's room to grow. Yeah. And maybe we can talk about that next week on the Brady Quinn football show. By the way, Michael Parsons, you should worry about the Jaguars and not the Eagles because you got them on, on deck here. AFC Offensive Player of the Week, Trevor Lawrence, right? Yeah, baby. Trevor Lawrence, back. Ryan Wilson, you lost that one too, pal. All right, Brady, always Jeez. a pleasure. You look sharp. You look fantastic. Tell Pete I said to go bleep himself. See you later. I will. Yeah, I'm going to tell him that. I will. Please tell him that. All right, man. I will. See you, bud. Bye.